Welcome to the Film Look Podcast, where we break down films, learn from the pros, and try to become better filmmakers along the way. I'm Christian Foreman, and this week I'm joined by Mr. Robert Carr. Hello. And for, uh, Richard, Richard is also here. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, Rich can't, couldn't make it this week, but we're still cracking ahead. Um, I'll introduce this week's film in a few minutes, but first, Rob, why don't you... You've still got a fact this week, haven't you? Yeah, I do. I'm going to win have you this got, one. Have you, got, have you got two facts? One for Rich, uh, or you just... No, no, I'm just, I'm just gonna. It's one fact, two parts. Right. Um, and if you don't you win this, if you don't win this week, then there's okay. something wrong with your. Well, fa- well, actually, the fact is, what, what do we call this off air? We call you had a good name for this. Um, I wanted to play this game, um, which we might play next week when Rich is here. But um, film fact or film fiction? Okay. Uh, so you give me, you give me a, a fact and a fiction, well, and I have to guess no, which, which one is true. Well, and this is a fact which. Obviously, I've already won, so let's see if you can get this right. And it's actually similar to to that. It's actually fact or fiction. So I'll give you this. So obviously, in the movie Titanic, a lot of people die. Uh, If you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, the ship sinks and loads of people die. Um, But in the movie, how many people actually die? I'll not give you the main fact because it'll give it away. But what I want you to do is tell us um, which one you think is in the movie and which one was actually, unfortunately real life of how so many is this, people died is this how many people you see die on screen or just how many are said to have died in the film uh, said to have maybe okay. it's on screen I think that's what the main it's the biggest kill count so in a film so right was this right I'll give you the two numbers and you have to tell me which one was in real life unfortunately and which one was in the movie so we've got 307 deaths and we've got 1,517 deaths. So which one was in the movie and right. which one? Because was- Hollywood likes to exaggerate things, I'm going to go with the higher number being the film and the lower number being real life. You are wrong. Oh. Um, in, the, in the film, in the Titanic, it's the most highest number of deaths in any film, which is 307. Um, but in real life, the, the Titanic could take... I think it was just over 2,000 people and uh, 1,500 people actually died in real life. Oh, that is a bit a, of a grim fact, a isn't it? A bit of a grim fact, that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I found it and I was like, should I say this? But we've had a lot of Titanic facts uh, uh, recently. Well, I, when I was trying to decide what film to watch this week, I, I did consider watching Titanic because oh, yeah. I haven't, I don't think I've actually seen that film. Like, I've seen bits of it. Oh, really? You know, over because it's but then i googled it and it's like three and a half hours long and i'm like i just i'm not in the mood to watch yeah, a three and a half yeah. hour long film this week um but maybe it's not something when you know the ending <laughs> yeah, yeah. When, you, when you know exactly what's going to happen i mean it's it's good the production's amazing and especially for the time um james cameron made this and then he went on to make avatar like those is two the films there's no All right. in between. not like direct is it really yeah. Like that's like 10 years he, in between, wasn't it? Yeah, he actually wanted to make Avatar before this, but the technology just wasn't there. Um, in between this, he actually just, I think he uh, was in his submarines, just looking at the Titanic. I, I would have thought he'd be a bit more prolific than that, especially after a successful film like Titanic. Well, well he's got um, another five Avatars coming out, so he's... Uh, <laughs> he's doing he's all right. Def- he's definitely going for... I mean, Avatar took like five years to make or something stupid like that um if you actually um if you can get the blu-ray you can uh there's loads of behind the scenes of avatar we should maybe do that for the pod um 
but you can also switch between all of the different views. So you can switch between the actual film and then the captured film, so of just the actors, and then the CGI version, and you can like switch as you're watching. It's really cool. Some <laughs> it's like one of the best behind the scenes I've ever seen on like a Blu-ray and a DVD. So that that would actually uh, be interesting to talk about, given that it's got at the time it was came out as such kind of a claim or like anticipation and then over over the past however long it's been it's just people associated with being just a really shoddy film yeah i mean i i, I watched it at the cinema um and i thought it was it was good that was like obviously the first real imax film i'd seen and then i hadn't watched it until say a month ago so i've only seen it twice and you know what i really liked it it's yeah. like it's it's a really good like adventure sci-fi space film and the visuals are just unreal so yeah let's let's do it sometime let's add it to the list all right should we get on with this week's film then yep so this week is my choice and i chose uh, the 1993 film true romance True Romance is a 1993 American romantic crime film written by Quentin Tarantino and directed by Tony Scott. The film stars uh, Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette um, with like an like Avengers level of like all-star yeah. assemble cast. You've got yeah. James Gandolfini, Gandolfini, uh, Dennis Hopper, Val Kilmer, Gary Oldman, Brad Pitt, Samuel Jackson was in it for like 30 seconds, if that, yeah. Christopher Walken. Yeah, it's, there's so many people in here. A lot of people who like went on to become much bigger actors than they were at the time. Um, so the, the story, the, the film uh, follows an ex-call girl and her husband on the run from the mafia after stealing a shipment of drugs from her former pimp. So that's, yeah, I, I picked this film this week and I absolutely love this film. I class it as a, like in the Tarantino uh, kind of oeuvre. Is that what yeah. you say in his in his, yeah. his back catalogue? And I think I watched this film more than any other Tarantino film personally. Oh, wow. And I think it's one of my yeah my favourites. If you ask me as a teenager, like you know when you list what top five favourite films, this probably would always go at the top as a teenager. It's probably not there anymore, mm-hmm. but that's just probably not, nothing to do with the film. Just I've watched more films since then, and my taste has probably changed a little. But yeah, I, I really really love this film. I've got a little soft spot for it. I like the kind of combination between Tarantino's writing and Tony Scott's kind of, uh, style and direction. I think it makes for something really special. Um, you haven't seen this film, Rob. Well, you hadn't before starting this. No. Um, so I was quite excited to see what you thought of it. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen it. Um, I think if I'd watched it when you did, um, I probably would absolutely adore this film. Um I think it has, I think there's some really good bits in it. I think the story's a little bit rushed, especially at the very beginning. Um, but overall, it's just one of those over-the-top action movies. And at first, I was just like, oh, do I like this? But afterwards, I was like, you know what? Some really good scenes in this. And it's just really, really over-the-top. We'll get into the story in a minute. Um, but you can definitely see, obviously, uh, Tarantino wrote this and he didn't direct it yeah you can see um, his finger his fingerprints are all over it aren't they yeah i mean in terms of dialogue and the, the, i think the opening scene when he's in the bar and he's talking about elvis just that's just tarantino all over just having a conversation about one subject and clearly knowing everything about that one subject um that's what t- tarantino does he just writes scenes and they go on and on and on um yeah so it's, it's actually 
think I watched because he did Dust Till Dawn, didn't he? He wrote that as well. Did he wrote Tom that, and he wrote another one. Um, um, oh, I can't remember what it is. He wrote three, and the, there's one that I really didn't like, and he just. just Natural Born Killers, did he write? Yes, that, that's that it, one. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so and he took, I, watched, yeah, I, 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 yeah. I knew that he didn't like the outcome to the point where he took his name off the credits. Like he, he, did, he asked not to be associated with it. Whereas this yeah. one, he was pleased with how, um, how it was directed. Yeah, there is some differences which we'll get into in terms of um, Tarantino's original script and then uh, the, final, the final film. I remember like um, seeing or remembering that um, he wrote some but didn't direct them. And I, I knew I knew it was this one, Dust Till Dawn. Um, and I watched Dust Till Dawn a couple of years ago now, and I was just like, I hated it. I hated everything about it. Um, really? <laughs> I, yeah, I just, I just, it got to like, it goes proper weird and sci-fi at the like end. Half, like halfway through, it just becomes a different film, doesn't it? Yeah, and I was just like, I don't like this at all. Uh, and so I was, I went into this thinking of that i was like oh, okay so if he didn't direct it there must have been a, a reason a reason why or he co-directed just till dawn it's robert rodriguez that did uh who directed it who's such a weird filmmaker anyway um so yeah yeah i watched i watched this and it just it like they get together so quick at the beginning so it's uh christian slater's character so it's it's clarence and uh alabama, alabama. yeah and like i like how they she they do get together i like that whole premise that she's been um you know employed and it's to go and find clarence christian slater's character uh and then because it's his birthday which we find out i really really like that but then five minutes after that they're like they're married they've got all these drugs then they're going on this trip together and it just happens so quick and i think i was i think i read it was um 16 if not 18 minutes of screen time it, it took for them we see them meeting falling in love and getting married in like 16 minutes or something like that yeah, uh, yeah. which is insane but I think it's it, it, you know you don't like that because this is a love story yeah. you know yeah. this is a really it's kind of twisted love story but it is a love story and so you had to kind of set them up um, as being lovers very early on and then yeah. see what happens in the story as, as a result of that love yeah, I mean, we we get to um, it's you know I think if they were already together, we wouldn't really get their personalities across. But it, it would just have to get that sixteen minutes done with to get on with the rest of the story. Um, and we throughout the rest of the story, you can you can clearly see that these are both just completely messed up people anyway. So they would do something like this. Uh, you know, they get tattoos of each other. Um, but the, yeah, so it's yeah, these people the are. Um... Kind of, just really dysfunctional and pretty like insane people. Um, Clarence has clearly got schizophrenia or something. Yeah, or which, which is set up in the straight away. So yeah, and he's got these really intense, violent outbreaks, and and Alabama's just as insane, really. The way the way she reacts to his violent outbursts, like on day two of them meeting and falling in love and get married, he then decides to go and kill Alabama's pimp, which he didn't have to do, but he he does it. And he comes back and tells her what happened. And you think that she's going to react in a certain way. And she just starts, she's like, oh, I don't know. She's loving it. And yeah. that, yeah, we see, we see how kind of, I don't know how made for each other they are by, uh, their insane tendencies 
Yeah, I mean, with with um, Clarence at the beginning, like we says, we see him talking about Elvis, and we see him actually see Elvis in his imagination. Um, but then, he, you know, the the reason he's there is to convince Clarence to go and do something that um, he he probably would never have done. And and it, I I just wish they built on this a little bit more in terms of the story plot plot point. It was like, you know. The reason he went to go and kill Gary Oldman, who is like, it doesn't look like Gary Oldman at all. He is an absolute chameleon in terms of acting. Um, obviously, this is very early on, still in his career, but it doesn't look, he doesn't sound anything like Gary it's Oldman. Insane, right? Imagine that. Yeah. That's uh, that's uh, uh, Gordon. What's he called him, Batman? Uh, What's his character uh, called? Yeah. Commissioner Gordon. Commissioner Gordon. Yeah. That's Commissioner Gordon. That just doesn't look anything like him. Yeah. Sound anything played, like him? He played um, Churchill last couple of years ago, and obviously he did the whole. He, he got really fat for that, or he had a fat suit on, and even then you can't see him. He's just absolutely fantastic of an actor. So Clarence obviously goes to goes to kill him, and he gets convinced to do this by Elvis, and it's because Elvis is telling them that you know you shouldn't let tre- people treat you that way. Um, you know, you're better than them. They, 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 the scum of the earth. Things like that. I just wish they built on that so Christian Slater had a little bit more moments in, like in that. Cent- incentive. Or, yeah, yeah. That's that's a good. Wait. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, just, in in the um, credits, he's not uh, billed as Elvis. He's billed as the mentor. Uh, um, and did I, you? I read. Sorry. Did you know he was played by Val Kilmer as well? Oh, really. So Elvis was Val Kilmer, which was insane because he was a big actor at the time. And you can't yeah. even see, it's like unrecognized, like he's, you don't see his face, you see his hand. Um, <laughs> I think Val Kilmer was supposed to, well, he initially was billed to play um, Clarence. Yep. Uh-huh. But for one reason or another, he, he didn't he didn't want the role, I didn't get the role. But then he said he, he still wanted to be in it and then they, they made him be Elvis. Um, it's That's insane how all, how all of these actors, like, picked such really like low-key um roles yeah i mean christian slater at the time when when this came out it, he'd done quite quite a lot um recently i've obviously seen him in, in mr robot um and he was fantastic in that but at the time i think he was quite he was quite big obviously people like brad pitt turns up and like like what are you doing brad like <laughs> but i suppose when you go it's a tarantino written script which obviously at the time he was still just coming up but it's a tony scott film tony scott was like a massive massive filmmaker um so of course it's going to be i mean samuel jackson is in this he's in it Uh, (laughs) and i thought he was going to be in it for longer than it because he's credit like at the beginning we see all the actors it's it's one of those films where you see all of the list of the actors at the beginning i was like oh i didn't realize samuel jackson's in it well he's not he walks into the room, says like two lines, and gets shot. But he says what he does is he says two Quentin Tarantino lines, which are clearly written by Tarantino. Um, so I can kind of see why he did it. I mean, I think Samuel Jackson doesn't say no to movies. Um, but yeah, in terms of like in terms of the, the the story, everything at the beginning happens so quick. But afterwards, when we got to the end, I was kind of glad it did because then we can kind of get on with the story. Um, and with having two like completely mad uh, characters that follow in each other, you kind of like anything goes in this film, and you can say that with like obviously with the action and in terms of the writing, it's like everything goes. Um, I'm just going to jump to the 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 very end of the of the film, and 
in the original script, Clarence was meant to die. He actually dies. Um, but the Tony Scott decided that this was too much of a, it was a sad ending and it, he wanted a happier one. Um, so he obviously, he, uh, Clarence, Clarence survives, but Alabama in the original script as well, she puts the gun in her mouth after that massive like shootout, which is class. Um, uh, she, she And then she sees the little note that she wrote and decides not to. So she actually survives in the original script. And uh, that was one, one plot point as well at the end. I was just like, ah, maybe he's, I would have liked him to die. I wasn't so bothered about seeing them in the happier ending. But it's one of those films where I just couldn't predict anything that was going to happen, which is good. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I quite like the love story between because this is essentially just a love story. Um, it, you could call it a rom-com, but I wouldn't. <laughs> it's probably about be misleading for people that haven't seen it, but it is just about how the, the power of these two people's love just gets into all these weird places, um, and I really like the chemistry between the two leads as well. You can tell. I think they ended up getting together after this film. Oh right, okay. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it's kind of weird. It's one of those stories where I wrote down here in one of my notes, "Dumb and Dumber." I don't know why I wrote that. I think it's because. Everything happens as a cause and effect from him steal going to the pimp's place. He didn't have to go to the pimp's place. Mm. And then when he came back, everything that happens after that, it's like it just snowballs and snowballs and snowballs. Suddenly you've got the mafia coming after you and you're selling these drugs. And it wasn't like, it wasn't their big plan. It was just all accidental. And I just remember that's what Dumb and Dumb was about, wasn't it? They just kind of stumbled across this um, briefcase and then it got into all these crazy yeah. places. They did, I. I haven't seen that film in, in ages, but yeah, they just stumble across everything. Uh, <laughs> and this feels similar like that in terms of the way the story is put together. And I've also wrote down in my notes, uh, MacGuffin. We spoke about MacGuffin in a lot of the prior podcast episodes, mm-hmm. yep. but um, this has a good use of a uh, MacGuffin, um, which is what? Do you know what it is? Uh, MacGuffin is just a, a it's a plot point that is just there to help the story progress. So uh, yeah. So what what what's the what's the MacGuffin in this story then? The MacGuffin in this story. Well, uh, just in Pulp Fiction, it's obviously the briefcase with the lights. We don't know what's in it, but it doesn't matter what's in it. It's just there to help the plot. The MacGuffin. Obviously, we see the drugs. In the yeah. Well, I, I put it as it's a suitcase full of cocaine. Yeah. That's essentially it, yeah. It's like you've got all of these, you know, crazy characters. We were introduced to about a dozen of them, right? And they're all they're all linked by this this suitcase of cocaine. Um, yeah. It's kind of the thing that glues the whole story together. Um, and this would, you know, yeah, the, the the MacGuffin you just mentioned in Pulp Fiction. This was his next film, so he's I think Tarantino's a fan of that sort of object in his films to kind of yeah. bring the characters yeah. together. Just, just another another fact as well in terms of like, because um, he 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 knew he couldn't make this film and Reservoir Dogs at the same time, um, so he gave Tony Scott, who was a, a bigger filmmaker at the time, the choice of which one to make. Oh, really? He gave them both. He gave them both to Tony Scott, and Tony Scott chose this one, and Tarantino went on to make Reservoir Dogs, um, and then obviously Pulp Fiction and everything after that. So yeah, he actually had them both ready to go, which as a filmmaker, you should always have multiple scripts. There you go, there's one. He well, he, I read that he sold this for like $50,000 or something, and then he used that money to to fund Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. But which Reservoir was, Dogs came out a year before this one was released. Ah, uh, right. I mean, Reservoir Dogs is a cheap, was probably a cheaper film to make as well. 
because it's what two locations really um well a couple of more locations but obviously a, f- a few more characters but it's it's a very cheap film to make compared to this so it's probably best that he went that way i do i do wonder what his version would be like um because this is the action scenes in this so as was established they fall in love and he uh in the first 16 minutes and then he goes to go and see um the the drug dealer and that's that plays out and you know something's going to happen because he's took a take, took a gun there and it's brutal it's absolutely just shoots him in the face like and everywhere else and it's like it's fa- it definitely feels like a tarantino written script but with the the tony scott you know um action to it but there's no holding back in that scene at all yeah it's very they, they've definitely dialed up the violence a bit which tarantino likes to do as well it, it's almost to a like a comic booky feel like it's mm. it's so over the top and it's so they don't shy away from showing yeah the gunshots and the blood um and yeah it, it, i don't know it 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 makes the violence like even bigger doesn't it i don't know how to describe it but it, it's very yeah. yeah it does and and what's interesting about obviously there um the drug dealer steals the drugs like it says it's this is what's connecting the whole story together um and then they steal the drugs from him, but that the drug dealer, drug dealer, like he dies. What's he's called? He's got a name, doesn't he? Um, what's he Ch- called? Christopher Walken. Just Gary Oldman's. No, uh, Gary Oldman's character. Um, he dies <laughs> so early on. Drexy. What, what I liked about this, Drexy. Yeah. Um, what I liked about this, they're not afraid to then just kill. That's Gary Oldman. They just kill him off. <laughs> Very in the first in the first twenty minutes, half an hour. So you know anyone can die at this point. Um, well, in terms of how it would be different if Tarantino did it, I read that, yeah, his script was slightly different. Um, it, it wasn't, this is told in a very linear narrative, whereas his was in, you know, Tarantino's style, quite non-linear. Um, so Tarantino and his script started with Clarence in the bar, uh, with his like little Elvis, um, speech. So that, that started the same. And then after the credits, um, it jumps straight to Clarence in Alabama on the run mm-hmm. um, with a suitcase full of cocaine. And then, like, it tells the story through flashbacks and it flashes back to when Clarence's fight with Drexy. So, it's like, it just bounces all over the place, really. Oh, okay. Um, whereas I cra- wouldn't need that. I, I like the way it kind of is. Yeah. So, he wasn't convinced that Tony Scott would do it this way, but after seeing it, he he, he agreed that it was a good way of telling the story. Yeah, I think I think if it was like set out like Pulp Fiction is, um, I think we'd have to. Even though we, do, I think we do get to understand each individual character in this, all the ones that die, and and obviously our our main ones, we we get who they are in Pulp Fiction. Um, we do that as well. We spend enough time with each person to like understand who they are. Gary Oldman's character, we just know what he's like um, st- straight away. But I like seeing him die straight away because I'm like, okay anyone can die at this you know when brad pitt's character comes into i'm like he's dead he's got to die um or uh like um uh, clarence's actor friend i was like oh he could die i didn't want him to because he just got an acting part and i was just like kind of die the day before your acting part so obviously obviously he doesn't but that's a really good tone and then it allows them to uh to then just introduce more characters because now we find out that the drugs are actually uh, Christopher Walken's character. Uh, he's working for someone. And I think 
that scene when uh, Crystal Walken's character is talking to Clarence's his dad, it's 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 it abs- it's in the amazing. Oh, that's dialogue. that's the best scene of the whole film, without a yeah, doubt. That really that's is. that that's probably one of my favorite scenes of all films. I would say that is such an such a tense scene that really sticks out in your memory. It's almost like too good. It like overshadows the rest of the film. It's like yeah. it's so so good, and it's it definitely feels like. Well, you you know that's written by you could play that scene and people are like yeah that's written by Quentin Tarantino and it's actually another fact God getting all the facts out to do um, he it's a, it's Tarantino's one of the, the the best scenes he says he's ever written he says it when he oh, it when, is yeah yeah he 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 said he said that he just absolutely loves it in terms of performance and everything but, um, until he says it's the best scene he's ever written until the opening of Inglorious where it's the um, ah, they're in the the village. Yeah, they're in the village. Yeah, yeah, no, even. Yeah, it's very it's, it's very similar. Again, it's very Tarantino esque, where you just have two people just sitting and talking at each other, mm-hmm. and we know the context between the you know around the characters, and we know like the stakes, and because a lot of it, I know there's lots of talking, but a lot of it is unsaid as well, right? There's a lot of mm-hmm. The, the acting kind of makes those types of scenes. But it's one thing he does very, very well, just having two people talking to each other. Uh, I mean, one, and, one of the best one of the best lines in that is uh, is actually near the end, and uh, another spoiler is when, when he actually kills his, the, the, the father, and he goes, I haven't killed anyone since, like, 1984. And I, I was just like, I, I, I found that such a good line because it just shows you how much this person got to him for him to pick up a gun again and kill someone. Um, but then also how powerful he actually is. And, you know, he's been around a long time. He hasn't had to kill anyone because we've got um, uh, the Sopranos guy. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Tony Sopranos there. Yeah, Tony Soprano. He turns up. Um and he's in it for quite. He he has quite a good speech as well about killing someone. He says the you know the first time you killed someone, then the second time you killed someone. Yeah, there's lots of good monologues in this. Yeah, there the really is. Um, I haven't seen The Sopranos, so um, I'm I've heard it's good. It's uh, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I, I've heard that they may be bringing that back, or they're doing something with it. But he's he died, didn't he? So, <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know what well, they're doing with that. What's good about this film, as we've been kind of been touching on, is just how good those side characters are. So you've got the main two people, you've got Clarence in Alabama, and then they, yeah, you've got all these side characters. And normally side characters like that are just, you know, very expositional. They're just then kind of there to drive the, the story forward. But these are very, very memorable parts. Like, for example, the scene with, you know, Christopher Walken and, and um, Dennis Hopper, they're only in that. So that's he's only in that one scene, isn't he? Christopher Walken, that one scene. Then Dennis Hopper's in that one before. He's only in two scenes, yeah. but you still feel they have that presence in the whole film. Um, and uh, yeah, like say you've got Brad Pitt, Christopher Walken, Gary Oldman, Val Kilmer, all those these these big actors that are doing very very small roles. But mm-hmm. I think because they really throw themselves into it, like they do, I don't know, they they just make Drake. it special, right? They make it memorable. Yeah. I mean, there's probably two points to that as well. It's like uh, the the very good actors. So you put you put Brad Pitt in a stoner role, and he's going to be the best stoner you know that you've yeah. ever seen on film because it's Brad Pitt. Like, um, you know, I did think he was going to die, but apparently he did just uh, improv most most of his lines. I was like, of course he did, because first of all, you're Brad Pitt, and you could probably do that, and like the role you were playing probably suits that. 
But I think one of the other things as well is that we're probably recognising that these these are so good because they're, they're good actors, but also very well known actors. Um, like you says, side characters are lesser known actors. But um, but it's also the, not just the acting, the, the writing though. Like you could tell that yeah. there's a, been a lot of time went into writing these characters. Like there's like for example the father where he's in two scenes but we know so much about him he's an ex-cop he's estranged from his son all these like little kind of details that we, in other stories you don't necessarily need to be in there um but it just makes them yeah like more rounded and it create like just add something to the story like well that, that i think i think with even gary oldman's character he's in two scenes in this um the first scene that we see him in he he shoots everyone takes the takes the drugs and the money so we know exactly what his character is about. He doesn't need to do anything else. Like we know he's a horrible, horrible person. I mean, he doesn't look great. Uh, either like you wouldn't mess with him. But we we know just from that one scene. You know, he shoots. Every, he shoots Samuel Jackson. How can you do that? Um, so obviously, this film is sort of, is very good at introducing characters and in such a small amount of time. Like oh, yeah, the yeah, yeah, like, the actor like, the actor so the actor friend. Um, I, I don't know his name. I can't remember. You know the one that gets the part, and we see his audition. Like yeah. we didn't, we as an audience, we didn't really have to invest that much in that character. But the fact that we care about this person, the fact that we care yeah. that he gets what that, whether he thinks people thinks he's good at acting, then he gets the part, and we're like, we're kind of excited for him, right? And you yeah. said at the beginning, you don't want him to die. You know, we see these side characters with hopes and ambitions and downfalls and kind of blind spots, and uh, yeah, I think that's it's quite unique for a film to he's, to have such good side characters. Here's a question for you. Uh, the actor friend, it's called uh, Michael. He was friends. in Friends. Yeah. Oh, man. Phoebe's, Phoebe's you know brother. Man, I was going to ask you the question, but I was like, this <laughs> we're, we're very good at Friends knowledge at the film look. Um, we should just do the Friends. <laughs> talk about that. Uh, man, I was going to try and ask you that. Um, but no, like, you're right. We're, we care about every single character in this. If, if anything, sometimes a little bit more than that's what I mean. Clarence I think, Alaba- I think t- some of these scenes, because it's a film made of scenes. I know that made up of scenes, that sounds silly, but like made up of scenes that can stand on their own two feet. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are better than the actual film itself and some of the main yeah. characters. I, th- I think what's interesting as well, the, the scenes as well, that we, like one of the scenes is them talking to him on a roller coaster. Like, all right, let's set it in a random place. Like, let's 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 put it that. that would be cool. And I'm like, yeah, it is, because it's it's that type of film. You're allowed to do this. Let's talk about um, the last scene um, in terms of how that kind of the, Mex- plays the Mexican out. standoff. Yeah, and in terms of an action film, this has happened a million times. You know, we've got the drug deal going up down. The police are in one room, and then we see an images of the mafia coming into the room, and then that's it you know we, we we know it's all going to build up and then everyone just gets shot which i really really like about it um there's one police officer like left at the end who doesn't but then he does he gets shot in the side alabama shoots like, him doesn't he yeah alabama does and it's just like all right everyone everyone gets shot apart from well obviously christian slater does but they get away uh and the way the reason the getaway is so easy is because one of the italian guys he tries. He like takes a woman hostage, so they're allowed to sneak out the back, and it's like, yeah, it's a simple plot point, but it works. Um, maybe, maybe Clarence could have died, like uh, if everyone did. But I suppose, I has. I don't know if I would have liked just Alabama then going away into the sunset by herself. So, 
Yeah, I quite like that he survived. I think that was the tone of the film. It, it suited it. That kind of maybe yeah. love love trumps all, and they can go right off in the sunset. What I like about this film, it, it sounds silly, but it's very it's very cinematic. It feels like a film. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's got the it's got the film look. Maybe it's got yeah. everything is kind of dialed up just a notch. That it's not, it doesn't feel like real life. Like that Mexican standoff was completely mental. Like that just wouldn't happen in real life. But <laughs> the fact that. <laughs> And the way they shoot each other and they jump in slow motion and everything, yeah. you know, the bosses there, you got the good guys and the bad guys and the people in the middle and they all shoot each other and they all die and the good guys get away and it's just, yeah, that's a, that's a film, man. That's that's this fun. Yeah. And it was just like a fun fun to watch. And I mean, any time, any, any, we'll get we'll get this in a minute, but any time you're like, like you says, it's just enhanced everything. Anytime you see Elliot, it's like the sunshine and it looks great. Yeah, like at the it's beginning, like, you had yeah. you had Detroit where it was set, and you had like the walking through the streets at night, and it's all dark, and they've got the smoke coming out, and they were sitting on the billboard, and it yeah. it looks just really American and cinematic, and and uh, then they kind of on a road trip to to California, and you have got this whole different setting. It's just yeah, it was just there was a lot a lot of fun. It's like a very fun film. Yeah, let's um. We've spoke a lot about story. Let's go directions. Obviously, uh, Tony Scott um, took this from Tarantino and made it his own. Would you say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it feels well. From what we've said, he's ch- he's changed a lot of the script. He's changed the ending. I think um, it definitely, yeah, it has his own style to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know what else he could have done, really. Yeah, in terms of the direction, I think it does just enhance every single character. It seems like the 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 portrayed is close to the script because you can. It's got tell a very good, it, very good casting director. Oh God! The, I mean, the budget for the cast must be more than the actual production of the film, um, which is which is crazy. I've got the budget. They only had a thirty million budget, um, which isn't a lot, especially for all those actors. But I suppose the actors, most of them, were just on set a day. Uh, like so, some of them wouldn't have been, you know, maybe it's like uh, some of them would have been on a little bit longer, but that's that's not big budget at all. Uh, didn't gross very much. It only grossed. No, I think it was very much a cult cult uh, favorite. It didn't it didn't do too well at the box office. Mm-hmm. It's definitely done uh, probably more now. Um, it's been on my list for for ages just because of the whole Tony Scott and. Tarantino, but Christian Slater as well, just because. Uh, I like Christian uh, Slater. Yeah, he's in loads, loads of stuff. Um, th- well, we've touched on cinematography, but like it says, it just looks. I think it looks really good. It's definitely got like an eighties vibe, even though this was nineteen ninety three, but it's still holding on to like the eighties look of an action film. Um, I think in terms of this, the cinematography, I think the all of the sets look look great that really helps with the cinematography but what i think helps even more is the costumes i think uh clarence and alabama's costumes are just the bold colors at first uh, clarence is he's, he's obviously he's wearing a um i think he's wearing like a an elvis kind of suit but it's not too colorful and then when he's in detroit we see him in the when he uh, goes to the drug dealers it's something quite dark and dull but then when he goes to la it's now bright, and he's wearing a. Um, it's wears like, like a, a yeah. flowery shirt, doesn't he? And um, she's always wearing bright, bright clothes, and the colours. Uh, 
I mean, I think I've seen the poster more than anything, like of like them two together. I, I recognise that straight away. I was watching this with my, my girlfriend last night, and we were like, "Oh, we could dress up with these these two at like Halloween," because they're very very distinctive looking characters. If yeah, I just stick on a flowery shirt, um, well, at at first, um, I thought she it was January Jones. From I, that's exactly what I said. I said she looks like January Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think she might have done a Halloween or something of that because I follow on Instagram. Uh, but she looks like fish, the face shape and everything. Yeah, it's like so, the and eyes it, and the smile. There's definitely something in yeah. there. Yeah. If they were going to make this again, you would get her to to play it because uh, it's just apparently so, cast, so uh, cast casting um, uh, Alabama was the hardest part. Because they needed someone that was kind of a bit ditty, but still could kind of speak poetically <laughs> and yeah. over over the narration, um, but still look like she does. It was yeah, it's quite a a good a, a balance there. Yeah, I think I think the casting for them too is is, is spot on. Um, I think Christy. Another fact. God, I'm using all my facts. This is normally on the end. Uh, the, Tony Scott made um, Christian Slater watch Taxi Driver before the film which is okay you know you can kind of tell they could have went because that because it is kind it of it is quite it is quite ins- taxi drivers that insane um kind of madness bubbling under the surface yeah and in terms of the story as well it's it's similar taxis you know it's this, it's this guy who falls in love with a, a woman who he, he can't have it's wild since i have seen taxi driver but it's you know i know i know it's, it's something very very similar and you, you can tell tell that so i think the casting's absolutely spot on um, and right, where we'll do, uh, uh, but yeah, it's, it's just on cinematography. I just, I, I was wanting to agree. There's lots of like, particularly towards the end of the film, lots of heavy saturated colours, um, really nicely composed, um, lots of, I don't know, interesting lighting schemes as well. What I do, what I do like, my favourite kind of cinematography is the beginning in Detroit with that grim kind of wintry colors with the, the smoke and the, the kind of darkness it looks like gotham city but like in a yeah. as a it's it's almost like kind of comic booky world yeah it, it it really is and it it really sets the tone for for them two characters as well like the, the detroit and motor city obviously it's it's uh, no one's really doing well there if you're there, you're really not doing too well, and it it suits their mood of where we meet them at the beginning of the story. The both, he's just kind of floating around and not doing anything, and then she's obviously just become a hooker f- for the four days or something, whatever I, it is. I love films that start with uh, you know, in the credits are rolling, and they start with like aerial shots of the city. I don't know why I love that so much. Um, yeah. The opening credits is quite long on this film. It is. Um, well, they've got too many names to reel off, haven't they? Yeah, that, that's true. That's definitely like an 80s, 90s trope. We don't see it too much now, which is sometimes a shame because I think sometimes it can set the tone of a film. And I yeah. think with this one, it definitely definitely does set the tone. Um, but yeah, I'm flicking through the photographs of, uh, of, of, of True Romance now and... The costumes, I think they are my favorite part, especially the our our two main leads and his actor friend, and then we see, we see the other ones. They're just in bold, bright colors. And if you think if you've got, you know, a case full of drugs, you would want to be a little bit, uh, <laughs> you know, a little bit stealth about it. No, they just let's put on a flowery shirt, and and go for it. Um, one of the scenes I want to actually talk about is when she's fighting um, uh, T- Tony Soprano. T- Tony Soprano. Um, and she does the monologue uh, about he does the monologue about 
Obviously, he's just he's thrown her around the room. He's beat her up, and she's it's, it's a hard watch. Thrown. It really it's a hard is watch. like because it, it you see everything everything about it. There's um, a, apparently there's an extended cut that goes even harder. That um, oh, is right. probably on the DVD. I don't know if I could watch that, uh, but they wanted no. it, they wanted more. I think they cut it back for the the final film. Yeah, it's. I think we just get enough in that in that final scene, uh, in that in that scene, uh, just because, like he says, it is really really brutal. Which she, I think she's she's brilliant in it as well, though, because she doesn't give up. She doesn't really have anything. It feels like she doesn't have anything to lose apart from him, um, Christian Slater's character. But there is there was more one moment in there where he he was just about to kill her, um, and then he sees her with because he's just found the drugs and he sees her with the the corkscrew on the on the on the knife and he pauses and I was just like, well, it is an action film. I always do this. This is it's a cliche in every single action film. It's like I'm going to tell you my plan, my evil plan, um, and he doesn't. He just goes, you can have one shot, and he thinks he's, she's going to stab him in the chest. And I thought that at first, but she stabs him in the foot, and I was like. And then it starts. That's how she starts again. I like that because all all of the characters, all of these side characters, say, and so not all of them, but a lot of them say how much they like Clarence in Alabama, even though they're in batshit crazy. They all say, yeah. "Oh, I like you," and that's what that's they're they're quite charming people, and they're obviously charm these people on screen as well. So mm. yeah, the reason that he lets her have a dig is because he's like, "Oh, you know what? I like you." You know, you've got yeah. some, you've got some balls, you've got some, you know, tenacity. Let's, let's, uh, uh, I'll give you a shot here. So yeah, the, yeah, the, the, like you say, that kind of evil villain monologue, it was kind of justified here, or like in the writing. Yeah, it, it, it really was, and I think the way she like uh, kills him as well, it, that's just as brutal as what he's done to her. Like it's just, it just, it's, it's really really hard to watch um i don't don't know how much you'll get away with that now um i think even with tarantino stuff that can be brutal i mean in in once upon a time in hollywood the same with the dog and the flamethrower like that's the only actual real violence in that film um but with this one i don't know i don't know if you could actually really really get away with that anymore uh in terms of like i mean she does win so maybe she could but I'm not too sure. Um, what we got? Uh, special slash visual effects. Did you see anything? There's a lot of there's a lot of special effects in terms of like action in the blood and and things like that. That looks really really good. But visual effects, I couldn't really see much. No, can't think of any. No. Um, one one special effect um, I, I did like. Oh, it was funny. It wasn't really an effect, but you know when the the uh, the producer guys like driving along, and yeah. He gets pulled over by the police officer and like she whacks him and then all the cork just goes over his face and then the policeman just walks in the shot. I found that hilarious. I was like, <laughs> that's perfect. That's so, because he's like, hide it, hide it, hide it, hide the drugs. And she's like, no, no, I'm not doing it, not doing it. Wax him and it just goes everywhere. And he's like, can't get out of this now. Um, so yeah, I just, I just really like that. Um, editing. So in terms of pacing of this film, we've spoke about, we've spoke about that um, in the first 16 minutes they find each other they get with each other they get married and then they've got loads of drugs in 16 minutes it's not your typical i mean in a a rom-com they would they would meet each other and then they would like either not get their 
not pass contact details each over at each other and have to find each other again or you know they would stumble and not realize they're meant to be with each other until the end of the film this that's the whole rom-com and film uh, of two hours is 16 minutes and once that love is established they never kind of waver on that they never go back there's never like a stumbling block as you would have in a rom-com like two-thirds of the way through where they have an argument and they f- they fall out of love and then they come back together at the end like once they've established it that's it that's them till the end driving yeah. off into the sunset which at least the at least the stick to that at least the go right we've got got together so quick um and we're going to stick together you know there's not going to be like oh should should we get married within the space of two days of knowing yeah. each other it's you know it's never could, any question could, yeah yeah there's there's no question and i i don't particularly think it would work in many films it kind of does in this um but i'd, I'd I kind of I'm glad they stuck to they are loyal to each other from because you could you you could have had a B story where yeah it's them trying to fight for their marriage as well mm-hmm. but it, because it wasn't. I was as I was watching this I was thinking oh she's going to betray him in some way she's just using him in some way she sees him as an opportunity to maybe get the drugs she already knows about that um, so she'll use this guy to get it and then she'll run away nothing like that happened and that was just my as I was watching it was like oh she's something's not right about her and yeah there isn't there's definitely something not right about her but, <laughs> screw um, loose yeah yeah but they both have a screw loose and they've both just <laughs> met each other at the perfect timing and these circumstances have happened so fair enough um, there's a lot of, there's a lot about this film where I've just been like I, I just accepted it because yeah. I think you could be very critical about some of this, but you've got to go. This just happened. They they met each other. They got together because they both just as messed up as each other. So, um, uh, sound design, lots of guns, lots of guns. One thing I did notice when um, Tony Soprano punched Alabama, um, did you hear the punch sound? It was a proper cartoon punch. It was like a whoosh. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I think if this was the. 80s you would have more of that because in the yeah. 80s it was just that's all it was in terms of action um and it isn't it, some of this is can't could be quite cartoony but when we get into the especially those fight scenes it's feels so real um obviously we have that one cartoon punch but yeah it's it sounded it just sounded good um so soundtrack right soundtrack this was probably another reason why this was in the top of my list I just absolutely love this soundtrack so much. This is like, you've got the, the scene between um, Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper and then the soundtrack is my two favorite things about this film. Mm. It's just, I love how like understated it is. It's very, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's just lovely to listen to. I used to listen to it back on my MP3 player. Um, I just like, MP3 it's really kind of plinky plunky and you've got these xylophones and uh it's just it's very stripped back but it's just so powerful because it's just used as a motif throughout the whole film mm-hmm. well obviously talking about the amazing cast written by uh obviously um tarantino directed by uh tony scott score Hans zimmer i know you've only got bloody Hans zimmer in the air i mean it's like you're talking the cream of the crop here like they are like everyone in this was top of the game or are going to be top of the game what i like about the obviously we hear the 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 soundtrack and we hear that little motif every so often and that's normally when things are going well it is you you start to hear it it's just like yeah i'll help you and then you hear the the sound of the soundtrack and um i don't know is it being in anything else 
Because I haven't seen this film, but I've definitely heard that. I think a few years ago, um, it was used on an advert, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I can't remember what I've, the advert was. I've definitely, definitely heard it. And like you just said, I think I might add this to me. me list of- I absolutely love it. It just, it's for such a violent film to have that sort of beautiful kind of, yeah, strip back sound score running through it it's just i don't know why the contrast of that it's just beautiful yeah and the, the i've got a little of, yeah so it was recorded on a budget um nine musicians um recorded this and that was because um they planned to have well hans Zimmer wanted a full orchestra um but tony scott w- went over budget because he got brad pitt f- to do 30 seconds on screen um, <laughs> and so he had to kind of see he had to be creative and strip it back. So that probably wasn't a, um, a creative decision. It was, you know, a budget reasons why it was um, only nine musicians. But I think that worked to its favour. I mean, I don't know what it would sound like if they had more musicians doing that, but um, I really think it worked to its favour. It might be too too grand um, in yeah. terms of the piece. And I think for being, you know, this is a, it's a, a romantic Com- it's not a romantic comedy, but it, it, it's it's obviously definitely an action film, and there's not too many action film movies where you can remember the score. Oh yeah, hundred percent remember this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think you can listen to this in different contexts as well. Most action films, it's just like, well, it's just action music, isn't it? But the contrast between this song really, really it's helps. Such, helps it's like piece. such an innocent song, innocent sounding tune. Um, yeah. it's like very reflective yeah it's just I don't know how to describe it it's just it's just I lovely I think it perfectly just, just kind of characterises Alabama and um, Clarence that sort of naive naivety they've got yeah it's it's completely sums them up it's like it's their their theme song isn't it um, you know when they're together you, you hear it more I think you probably and hear it because lo- you hear it normally as well when Alabama's doing her voiceover narration, which is just again another one of those kind of cinematic things that just feels, it just feels really, I don't know, cinematic is the only word but, I can describe it. With, with with the voiceover as well, um, it doesn't happen very often. Like with it's her, not, it's, with her yeah. southern dra- southern drawl, yeah. I love that accent. Like, like it doesn't. It it's what is it at the beginning? Is it halfway through and at the end? Something like yeah, that. Her yeah, voiceover. Yeah. And I, I didn't, for some reason, I, I didn't forget that, you know, that was, you know, she, she did that and started like that. When I watched Terminator, it's either the first one or the second one, uh, Sarah Connor has a voiceover and she has it at the beginning. And then the film's about an hour and a half in and then we have another voiceover. And I'm like, oh, where's she been? I didn't I completely <laughs> forgot that she was doing a voiceover of this. And it really took us out of the film. But for some reason, this one didn't. And I think this one kind of fits, fits well because, you know, Maybe maybe they added the voiceover afterwards because obviously, as we've said, Tarantino didn't want to make this film. Lin- he didn't. He wanted to be non-linear. Um, so to have kind of like you know seeing the end of the film at the beginning, which Tarantino sometimes does, and you don't you don't quite know what's going on, and you're following the story. Maybe that was just Tony Scott going, "Let's add this voiceover in." She's telling the story. We kind of believe that she's going to survive at the end of this. Yeah, true. Because that's it's that's got, why you have voiceovers. You know, all right, the character's telling you, unless there's a twist at the end, and you know, the character actually has died. She's just got such a such a charming and sweet and engrossing voice uh, that that you know paired with the the plinky plunky music, 
it's just it's just yeah it's really nice yeah it's it's all sets of tone isn't it um right so we're coming to our questions that we always do at the end of every single film um how would you do it differently if at all um, well, one other thing, when we finished, again, I was watching it with my girlfriend. We watched this before. This is the second time I've watched it. And this time, the first thing she said was that um, there's only two women in this film. Like, two women ever on screen. So we've got, You've got Alabama. Alabama. Can you remember the other one? Because I couldn't. <laughs> um, there's... Um someone in the bar it's at, at the beginning it's at the beginning it's at the beginning so yeah, it's the first yeah. it's the first girl he talks to um which looks very similar to alabama this is yeah he's got, a, got he's got um he's got a, a, a taste there hasn't he um, yeah he does and that kind of threw us at the beginning because obviously I, was, I seen the poster and everything and i was like she's not the main character hang on a minute but so, i suppose like you're right it's taste isn't it he does have one so um yeah you it's her and then it's Alabama, and then no other woman woman is on screen throughout the whole thing. Oh, maybe that actually that woman in the car. Just thought of that third one, the cocaine on it, lady. Ah, um, uh, right, yes. But maybe but just then she's not very long. Yeah, exactly. Maybe just if I was doing it differently, I'm doing it now. Maybe just introduce a few more, <laughs> few more female characters throughout the whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> just it's to balance it out a bit. A, it's very it's male film. <laughs> boys, a boys club, isn't it? <laughs> It's definitely uh yeah I you know what I didn't I didn't actually notice that um just because I think Clarence uh, Alabama is such a good character you know how do you do, obviously we get loads of different con to be honest most of the men in this are very very similar if you really, I know really well that's the it. thing you've got so many bad guys here right you've got loads of you've got lots of personalities um in the side characters as we discussed it would be just nice to have maybe one or two of them just kind of female villains that'd be cool yeah like for example you could have um clarence's actor mate could be female and yeah, exactly. it would it would be the you know same character and you know they might have a little bit even though i think uh his, his actor his actor friend uh dick ritchie as his character name is uh, he kind of falls in love with Alabama straight away and like falls for her and she's like he sees how sweet she is she he's going to go along with this because it's his mate and Alabama so she has the appeal to to bring that other character along as well so but yeah you're right it definitely it, you, if it was made now it would be you would have definitely a bigger female cast <laughs> um it kind of feels like um Felma and Louise a little bit that's you know yeah that kind of road road trippy type movie didn't Ridley Scott do that Yes, I think he did. Um, I don't know when. I think it was before this, wasn't it? Um, yeah, around about this time. Yeah, nineties. Yeah, yeah. Sometime in the nineties. Yeah. Um, I would. I, I kind of. I I understand why we have to get them together really quick, but that was the thing that threw us um, when I was watching it. I was like, "Wow, you are together so quick." Um, throughout the film, I kind of forgive that because, like I says, you have to just have to get it. You have to get to that plot point. You can't. You can't spend forty-five minutes to an hour, then meeting each other, and it's a completely different film. Then, um, so yeah, maybe it's just a little bit in the pacing at the beginning of how I would do differently is like they do get together so quick. Um, maybe justify it a little bit more, but I'm not too sure how. I've just realised as well because, as you were talking, there, I just thought because he's set up as this kind of comic book nerd. He likes kung fu films, mm-hmm. and. 
it would be quite fun if he used like these kind of comic book and kung fu knowledge throughout the whole film to kind of beat these bad guys at some point because yeah. we, we, it's like kind of set up that oh he works he, he's into all this he's into spider-man um mm. and then that's never really addressed again it's a cool yeah. little addition to the character like yeah it makes him yeah a bit more rounded but if he some of the lessons he learned in those comic books if he kind of brought them to the table yeah that would be fun I, th- I think i think all those elements are there to like um to show that he is a bit of a loner which yeah. he is so they, they do help with that but you're right he could use the strategies maybe he's learned from the comic books or, or the from the kung fu yeah. yeah to like uh to like help throughout that would could be he used really it good. to go in with the pimp and stuff like that or to sell yeah. the drugs he could have used a monologue from a film or uh because he just does it. He doesn't. They don't really think. He seems to always have a plan in his head. He seems to like oh, this is going to happen. I'm going to do this, but we don't get to see it too much in terms of like he says his knowledge that because he's, he's he seems like a very intelligent, stupid guy, but he's intelligent <laughs> in some in some way. Like he has experience of like seeing like heist films or whatever. So. Um, I think if Tarantino directed it, maybe he would, there would have just been reference, 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 <laughs> yeah. a film of just like uh, people stealing money and like heists and everything. And, you know, Drug deals maybe and all of that, yeah. Yeah, it probably <laughs> would have been a bit of an overload. Um, so, yeah, that's, yeah, I would probably say that too, to do it differently. Um, right, has it aged? Um, it feels, it feels like a, like a 90s film doesn't it like an 80s 90s yeah. film i don't know what it is about that sort of filming in that time there's just a certain grain in the in the in the yeah. on the screen that you can it just looks like it is if you, if you showed me a still i'd be like oh that's from the 90s <laughs> yeah there's there's something to do with like the obviously it's all shot on film so you, you you do get the grain but it's the light it's the it's the depth it's the kind of the the angles the choose i mean tony scott was you know a great like action director anyway um and you, do, you can tell it you could go you could look at it still and go yeah that's probably tony tony scott or someone from around that time um but yeah i don't think as i watch this on netflix so it was obviously it's been put into hd and everything and it still looks really good you know, you would you would definitely reference this if you were going to set a film in nineteen ninety three in LA. Um, there's some there's like, some sexy sexy shots of like establishing shots. I like I like that about it. Mm-hmm. The way it uses um, the environment and the colours of the surroundings to kind of enhance the the cinematography and the feel of it. Yeah, it def- definitely does. Um, so it like it says it has aged in terms of it feels like a nineties film. But also, I think some of the la- some of the language they throw around and the racial slurs are done and the kind of violence towards women. That's like that's of its time. I'm not sure you can get away with that uh, no, these days. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I really, really don't think so. Um, but I suppose I'm glad that this is was made then uh so we do have it um but yeah there's i mean the christopher walken saying tarantino still writes like that like to be fair i think he's the only one though yeah um but i think he's he's allowed to now because he's done it so long but if you were the new kid on the block and you wrote something like this um i honestly don't think films like this really get made anymore um you couldn't see like a star like the rock like being in a film like this uh people are a bit safer aren't they yeah, you know, The Rock is the highest paid actor in the last two years um, and you, you you wouldn't see him in this. Um, I think you would see someone like Brad Pitt again in this. I think I think he 
he will still take risks. I think in terms of obviously work with um, Tarantino a few times now. Um, in in, in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he plays a character that's not liked. It's, it's a bit risky, maybe, for him, you know. But I mean, you're going to say yes to Tarantino. There was actually something I I watched him in, in an interview. No, it was when Brad Pitt got one of his awards. For, for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and he just says uh, you know it was a tough role for us to play had to act like a guy who doesn't get along with his wife and is always uh, stoned and he just started laughing and everyone else did because that's, that's who he is he just played himself um, but even in, in that film you know we see themes of like uh, Brad Pitt's uh, character he kills his wife or did he kill his wife and you know there's always the the racial slurs and everything that you have in Tarantino's films so can you get away with it? He can. Can other people? Well, I just don't know. Um, but someone will try. Uh, <laughs> right. My favourite question of all time on the podcast. We ask it every single week. <laughs> is it? Is it in the Matrix? Ah, it's a difficult one this week. Um, I mean, some of the kind of ex- kind of the th- the similarities between the films. No, not the the idea of the matrix but some of the kind of the violence is very because it's exaggerated you could probably say that it's you know matrixy elements there um i don't know have you got anything no i really don't i tried um i think it's i mean it's got enough stars in this to be in the matrix you know uh but no i'm going to say no for the first yeah, let's time. go no. Let's go no this let's, week. Let's just go no. <laughs> um, right. Um, so the last few bits is uh, trivia, fun facts, and fan theories. I mean, I've said most of my. Fact, I think we've I'd... said a lot throughout the podcast. One yeah. thing I was going to say, I went. So I went to LA um, about 2011, 2012. It was before Tony Scott died, and I went on one of these um, tours. Like a, I got in a van and a bus. And I got a tour of Beverly Hills. Oh, nice. And all the tour was was just driving around Beverly Hills going, oh, look, there's uh, Jason Siegel's house. And then oh, really? we'd all like, we'd all <laughs> sit and take a photo of Jason Siegel's house. And then he'll drive to the next one. He'll go, oh, look, that's where, um, I don't know, Brad Pitt lives. And you go, oh, that's Brad, look, there's Brad Pitt lives. Look at that, look how big that house is. Look at that, that's a nice gate. And then, anyway, there was one stop. Or it was stopped in the because the, there's a guy that uh, obviously gives the tour as well, and he goes, "Oh, this is uh, Tony Scott's house, and this is an interesting fact about this garden. Um, this is where uh, Quentin Tarantino came, and uh, he threw the script of True True Romance over into this garden right there because he wasn't it wasn't getting walls, <laughs> it wasn't getting sold." And he was like, he wanted to get into like a director's hands. And this was like the only way, like he just thought, oh, I'll just go and like just throw it over into this house. And um, and from there, Tony Scott read it and he picked it up and he, he bought it off Quentin Tarantino. No way. No and way. I've and I've had that fact, I've kept that fact in my head for about 10, nine years now. And, and doing this podcast. No, <laughs> no, and doing this podcast, I'm like, I'll, I'm going to Google that and see if there's any sort of link, any, uh, anything was, that would... To He's say lying, that online, and I could not find anything that would say that uh, hey. said anything like that. So either that guy had this fact that he <laughs> that I is mean, true. It, 
you could put that on the internet and then you'll see like Instagram accounts and like, you know, all of the fact accounts and loads of websites and like BuzzFeed. You'll, they'll get an article on it. And they'll be like, so uh, yeah. I don't know if, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what a tour guide said when I was, when I was having a tour of Beverly Hills. Um, that's a, that's so I'm going to use that as my fact this week. That's that's a that you know what that's a personal fact so I think you you should win the fact. Um, what's LA like? I've always thought about going. Um, it's, we could speak this, about this off air, but let's. Do, no, do I'll give you it. a quick summary. Um, it's great. No, it's not. I would. I. Mm, I was in two minds about it. You've got places like Beverly Hills, which is just unreal. You've got all these amazing big houses. You've seen it on the screen all the time. It feels like yeah. you're in a film. You've got the big gates. You've got the pools. Um, you got the big palm trees, mm-hmm. um, but um, it's also there's so there's so much poverty in LA, and there's so much, and you can feel that in the air because you've got all these people in the hills that have all this money and they've got all this acclaim and they're on billboards, and then the rest of the majority of the city, ninety five percent of it, are just like normal people that just have to look at this every day, and you can yeah. feel like there's like all this hope and desperation in the air because that's all everyone's like trying to aim for. People want to get to the top of the hill. They want to get the top. It's such a, like a perfect metaphor, the city. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, in terms of like, I would like to go and you know do the whole touristy thing. Um, I'd love to work out there. I mean, I would like to be at the top of the hill or at least halfway up the hill in one of the houses. <laughs> that would be that 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 would be the dream. You know, if people didn't know we're, we're working on feature film scripts. We make short films at the minute, but currently writing, and it's like, well, yeah, that's. That's that, the dream, isn't it? That is the dream. Like any filmmaker, you know, yeah, you don't have to to reach to that or to, to even want that in terms of filmmaking. But I've got stories in mind where I would need that level of commitment, production and money to, 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 to make them. And it's like, well, yeah, you have to go out there and do it. Um, so you I went along one Hollywood Boulevard. That's where they've got all like the, the hands and the feet cement ah, yeah. fingerprint things mm-hmm. and I thought that, I, that I thought that'd be really fun to see all these people that kind of came and did that but it was just full of tourists it was full of people like dressed up as superheroes and taking photos and there was very oh, much yeah. that touristy side of it that wasn't yeah. that fun but yeah oh, no it's very interesting I would definitely go I would yeah. pop that on your list to, to do to do list yeah it's, it's definitely on there I do have a, um, a fun fact slash fan theory but this is you know um, Quentin Tarantino's worlds are all connected um, so you've got things like which are like Django and Glorious Reservoir Dogs are all in the same Pulp Fiction are all in the same universe yeah. um, True Romance is, is within those films as well but there's a cu- couple of connections between these films where you hear about True Romance so you've got um, in, in Glorious you've got uh, Donny uh, Donowitz which is one of the 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 Jew hunters the uh, he's the the uh, the bear Jew um, who obviously scalps scalps bear there uh, scalps uh, Nazis um, he he's the father of Lee Donowitz which is the movie producer in True Romance oh so, they do kind of look alike don't they yeah he is he, he, the, the, he's the father obviously he was yeah. during the war and then and and thinking up to that and then which I never ever picked up on this one of what reservoir dogs um it's revealed mr white which is harvey cartel's character i believe um he's he previously worked with a partner on a job and she was named alabama 
So there's a couple of connections between his universes um, in terms of... Uh, Do you think they're tr- intentional or just accidental? Well, he wrote Reservoir Dogs and um, True Romance at the same time. So yeah. I can see he might have just went, I can't think of any more character names. <laughs> Alabama. But you never know. But I'm like, why would she be working with, you know, Mr. White, Harvey Cartel's character? Mm. Like, she, she seems like this is her first, like, rodeo in terms of interim romance. I mean, but the, the the producer one was like, yeah, cool. The other the other connections are, are very similar. Like, uh, Vincent Varga in Pulp Fiction's, uh, the, it's his brother, uh Vic Varga in Reservoir Dogs, you know, they're both they're right. br- brothers and things like that. So That's yeah, always like fun little Easter eggs, isn't it, when you're watching watching these films? Yeah, it is. Um, super cool in terms of, it just, it just shows you that even in Tarantino's writing and not necessarily his direction, he still has the connections between his movie movie verse, which is super cool. All right, so let's wrap up. So we normally give the, a rating out of 10. So um, how many... How many um, bags of coke out of <laughs> how many bags of cocaine do we give true romance how many romances um, I'm going to give it uh, 17 grams I don't know if that's a lot is that a lot uh, I'm assuming yeah. it's a lot yeah maybe what, what um, would you say I think it's about an 8 8 out of 10 an eight out of ten. Okay, I'll give it. Uh, I'll give it. I'll give it a seven. A seven, seven. Seven romance. Yeah. <laughs> seven on the on the romance scale. I'll give it a seven. Um, <laughs> just because there's there's a few you know nineties tropes in there which you kind of kind of have to accept, but and also just that little bit of the story at the beginning. But no, it was super fun. It's a re- It's it is. I think a fun, entertaining film to watch. Um, yeah, you can just I'd sit. Highly and recommend just it. Take yeah. it all in and. Um, it's a bit, it's a bit gory. It is, it's a bit heavier sometimes, but it's good. Um, all right, well, we should wrap up there then. Um, if you want to reach us, you can email us at thefilmlook at gmail dot com, or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram, at which are both at thefilmlook. Um, we also have a YouTube channel, which is also called the Film Look, where we drop filmmaking knowledge bombs based on the short films we make. Rob, you got to want to add anything before we uh, go? And um, hopefully, well, Rich will be back next time we do this. I don't know what the film will be, but he will be back. I think it's his choice next time, so he better be. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, until then, uh, bye. Bye.